Ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for the time we can come together in fellowship, uh, where we devote ourselves to your word, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of Yeshua, your Torah, where we break bread together and where we, or when we pray to you with praise and thanksgivings on this, this holy day of Shabbat. We thank you so much, and we ask a blessing on us as we continue to, uh, to learn and to share. And I ask a blessing on Tom, our, our, our friend, our visitor this morning, that, that we would all just kind of build each other up and learn. Uh, it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so who in the world is Tom Beaver, right? <laughs> I announced last week that, that our, my friend Tom Beaver was going to come and teach us on fellowship. Uh, and some of you were like, oh, okay. And others were like, um, who's that? Um, so Tom has been in orbit around Beth Takun for quite a long time, quite a long time. You know many people who are in our congregation, um, past and present. Um, you have done a lot of work with us on our videography stuff. You've helped out Torah Today with their video production. Um, you're friends with Grant. Um, you and I used to work together at Christian Healthcare Ministries, where you are the director of video production. So he's he knows his stuff. He's a good man, a good Torah observant man who loves Yeshua, loves his word. And um, I always appreciated uh, being able to sit with him at lunchtime when we worked together and um, commiserate. Or no, no, we, 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 would, we, we had a good time. We shared a lot of, of wisdom. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you here. And I know that you all be blessed with what Tom has to say. So without further ado, Tom, why don't you come on up? Oh, Shabbat Shalom, y'all. God love saying y'all. <laughs> I'm originally, I lived in Oklahoma for a number of years, so that was kind of the standard terminology. Well, and my far better half just walked in the room. That's <laughs> my wife, Melody. So glad you're here. All right. Well, I consider it a, just a privilege and honor to be able to be here and to share with you all extremely well. Yes, sir? Oh, okay. You can have that. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Tim, for uh, inviting me to uh, come and share a little bit. Uh, I have, like Tim said, I've been, it's <laughs> a good way to describe it, in orbit around <laughs> for years and years. And uh, good friends that have been part of the fellowship for a long time, they said, you have to come over uh, and, and get involved with that tune. And so I'm stretched at many, many, many different congregations through the years and stuff, but I've always been a big supporter in prayer. And honest to goodness, I weekly am engaged at least online with everybody, <laughs> one of those that are virtually always receiving instruction and stuff. So I'm very thankful for that. It's just a, just a great honor. Uh, remember now, this teaching time period is a conversation, right? So if you've got something to share, share it, except for you. You have already shared. No. <laughs> Just kidding. No, seriously, though, let's, uh, let's have a conversation. Then. So obviously we're in Acts chapter 2, 42, and uh, it's a great place to start right there. We have, uh, we're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I love to continue on. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in 
common. The word common there is koinos. It's a word that we're going to go into. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That had to be an amazing, exciting time. I just, uh, you know, we read and reflect on that, but just the, the, the beginnings, if you will, but not. Because it's that congregation of, of God, those that are interacting with the Lord, whatever, but there's a newness that was coming here. Fellowship, of course, is this English word translated from a Greek word, koinonia. You all heard that, and I know that Tom, uh, Tim has referenced that, and he shared some definitions. I think he, he said that's a joint participation. Social intercourse, not just people gathered together. People come together to do something, something of importance, something with purpose. And I believe there was the reference also to the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, I think that was said. Yes. Is it hidden? Is it safe? Those that watch Lord of the Rings will reference that. <laughs> Priority is being placed upon a group of people, socially, practically, materially, and spiritually. As referenced earlier here, the uh, Hebrew equivalent, at least from the Septuagint, is the word uh, tesume, tesumet specifically. But sum was the, uh, the origin. That word is translated in Scripture as a pledge or a deposit, something placed in the hand. I believe you referenced that, Tim. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. But there's an exchange going on. I want to add a little bit of things, because koinonia, that word is translated numerous ways in the apostolic writings. Such words as partnership, participation, intercourse, communion, communication, aid, benefaction, relief, contribution, sharing. This word is an amazing expanse and, and different translations that it's used. But we're going to come back to koinonia in a moment. I want to uh, look a little in another direction here. Here in Acts, right at the beginning here, we're learning how the earlier followers of Yeshua functioned and engaged. Throughout all of Acts, we see this pattern of how the quote-unquote church, the congregation, the assembly, the way is to operate, how it's to function. Yet, there's a lot not said in the text about how a congregation is to function. Why is that? You know what I mean? You get into Acts, you start seeing little bits, little pieces, but there's not like this mega instructional thing of how this operates. The Didache starts referencing a little bit of things, but still there's a lot telling how are we supposed to do it? Who's supposed to do what? There's references of names of things, diaconos, things. There's various functionalities are said, but there's no real defining thing. Why would that be that there's not a real good defining way? Any guesses? Anyone? Anyone? It was already known. Do you got one? I one. <laughs> <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> I was just going to say maybe that there's, there's different ways to function. Mm-hmm. That's a good, very good on there but it's already a known area. Meaning that these people, these early believers or whatever, were already functioning within 
a fellowship structure, right? Think about it. The synagogue in which they've already been established for literally centuries was an existing structure for an assembly of people to be together, okay? So it shouldn't be this big surprise. At the beginning of the assembly of believers, the church formed itself as a pattern itself, conducted itself in the model of the synagogue and the Jewish community. Why? Because they're already all Jews. So many of them are functioning already in that capacity. The parallels within the structure of a synagogue are amazing. There were those, the shachim, the sent out ones, the apostles. That is a straight parallel within that. There's also elders, deacons, all of which have parallel within the synagogue. Something fascinating, too, about the Second Temple period synagogues, there was no official clergy, no paid professional, if you will, that was running the thing. Now, wait, there's a development later, whatever, of the rabbi and various things ahead of it, but that wasn't the way it was in the Second Temple period during Jesus. The synagogue was considered a little sanctuary, as it were, in which God dwelled in the midst of his people. And every member of that community was a priest in God's kingdom. In the synagogue, the prayer of the people of Israel and the word of God were the central features of their gatherings and the sacrifices of their lips. In fact, the revelation of God's lips, the Torah, is what was being put forth in the synagogue. Early on, God made it abundantly clear that he wanted to dwell in the midst of the assembly. Right? Think about it. Back in Exodus 19... 25, Exodus 29, build me a sanctuary so I may dwell in your midst. And it was in the midst of God's people, even the tabernacle in the desert, that his glory came down and indwelled the people. And so the sanctuary was seen as the place that God would come and dwell in the midst of his people, and every person bore witness to that. An interesting principle that developed, though, later on of the synagogue was the domestication of religion. In the world, do you mean by that? The domestication of religion. In the Jewish community, the primary locus, the primary activities was never in a building, per se. It was always in the home. That's where the synagogues began and functioned. And we're seeing that same way. It's home to home. The design, the layout, the functionality of things, that's one of the beauties of Betzakun and how it has structuring itself. The most things are happening in the home. It was a small sanctuary in the home. Activities, if you just think about it, activities that occur, religious, we'll call it activities, Passover, tabernacles, Shabbat, all transpire within the home. The table at which we sit and have a meal is considered and was considered in Jesus' day equivalent to the altar of God in the temple. So Jewish people assembled from house to house. In fact, earlier synagogues, like I said, weren't even in buildings. They weren't even called that, but they met in homes. Maybe it was in even an upper room that they were meeting. Here we back in Acts where they would assemble to pray and proclaim the word of God. It's not until the 3rd and 4th centuries do they even start building buildings to be meeting, or at least to develop that way. 
The synagogue, the Jewish community, was seen as the redeemed community of faith that met regularly as a community of faith to bear witness to God in their prayers, in the reading of God's word. They were independent, organic functioning, and you'll see the same pattern that I'm getting to is the fact the first believers are functioning in that same way. So that's why there's not really a major instruction of thing. They're already doing it. We just have this nice little addition of Messiah. <laughs> Huge addition. They continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, which included breaking bread and the prayers. You have prayer, fellowship, and you had the word declared in teaching at the heart of the early church worship service. I believe we can characterize the New Testament church by relating it directly to the ministry of Yeshua. And of course, everything we do needs to be modeled in that way, using his pattern. And in the ministry of Yeshua, we see a threefold type of ministry, three spheres, if you will, kind of categorizes so much of Yeshua's ministry. But we can categorize him into three areas where he was functioning as a prophet, as a king, and as a priest. Prophet, king, and priest, three ministries of Yeshua to his Talmudim, his students, his disciples. And we can make a little diagram here, just for the grins of it. Let's see if this will work here. And it's not so far. Let's see. Kind of worked. Okay, I'm going to make a little equilateral triangle. Not too equilateral here. <laughs> Go with me on this. <laughs> We're going to put over in the corner. These are going to be representing three spheres of Yeshua's ministry. I'm just going to, no particular order of things in here, but he was functioning as a prophet. He was functioning as king and priest. Everybody kind of sort of see that? <laughs> Love it. At each of the corners of this inverted triangle, we're going to emphasize one of the ministries of Yeshua. First, he's a prophet. He's king and he's high priest, but it's a, it's a summarizing, if you will, of his ministry. Um, what I'm looking to do is to see if we have a corresponding of Jesus, of Yeshua's kingship with the early church, or us. If we're going to find a little correspondence here with regard to prophet, king, priest, these spheres. Looking for an analogy to, to correspond to how our ministry is to be, how we're to be functioning, okay? So Jesus is a prophet. As we know in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says there's going to be one, going to raise up one like a prophet, prophet unto, like me, unto me. And that prophet was a code word, if you will, for Messiah. All right? In Luke 24.19, you remember when there's a couple of disciples are heading back to, from Jerusalem, they're going to Emmaus. And they're going along, whatever, and all of a sudden this, somebody comes along. They don't recognize who this is and is walking along with them. And this stranger ultimately turns out to be Yeshua. And he says uh, in verse 19 in Luke 24, I'm sure with a bit of a smile on his face, uh, Jesus says, So what, uh, what, what y'all talking about? <laughs> and then they say, uh, About Yeshua made it said it. 
Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, he was a prophet, powerful in word, just amazing, all the things that were going on. It's kind of like, they're like bewildered. How do you not know any of this is going on? Wouldn't you love to have been walking along in that conversation <laughs> just to hear <laughs> what was happening? But though what they were saying, though, in that, that he was Messiah, because they were calling him a prophet, the prophet. So we have Jesus, prophet. Like unto Moses, he came to redeem, to lead his people into liberty. When the Lord starts speaking, Jesus is teaching. He, you notice I'll go back and forth between Jesus, Yeshua, and all, it's going to be all, all over. I'll use church too, I'll use assembly, I'll use congregation. We're going to be all over the map with regard to the terminologies, because that's what we deal with in all the different translations. Every time the Lord is speaking of the kingdom, he's speaking as king. So here's where we're getting our uh, other area sphere of his ministry. Every time he's speaking of kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, which are both the same, one's Hebraic and one's Greek. Every time he says that, he's drawing attention within his Jewish world as his identity as king. He is Melech. He's engaged with the Malchut, the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom, Malchut Shemaim. And so Yeshua is king ruling and reigning even supernaturally over those within his community, his kingdom, kingdom of God. Now, who are the ones that make up that community? We have a great listing of those folks. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, starts listing through there. Who are the ones that make up that kingdom? Those that are submitting themselves. They are the humble. They're the poor in spirit. Those that are pursuing righteousness. Those who hear and obey him. They are those who will do the will of the Father in heaven. They're not just lip service. These are the ones that he is king over because they're submitting to his sovereignty, to his ruling and reigning by obeying his words, and they're building their lives upon a rock. And third, sphere is priest. Hebrews gives us a lot of reflection on that. 2.17, 4.14, 9.11, speaks about Jesus, our high priest, which, by the way, at this very moment, this is always amazing to me, he's interceding for us right now. It's pretty overwhelming just to meditate on a bit. So he's prophet, king, and priest. Therefore, as a way of getting a perspective, one I think the New Testament speaks of the church's being, to try to summarize the ministry, if you will, the life, the vitality, the mission, the calling of the church. A mentor of mine, of blessed memory, by the name of Dwight Pryor. I don't know if you've ever heard him speak or not, but uh, amazing, amazing man of the Lord. He came up with a parallel diagram, and for the purpose of our thing here, I've got to see if I can erase our stuff here. Remember how that was all laid out? Very good. And we have a little parallel diagram here. Okay, This is going to be, I'm going to give you three words. I'm going to have teaching. I'm just going to use teach. Sort of teach. <laughs> Church. And ministry. And community. I'm just going to put calm. 
They're not perfect words for this thing, but it'll give us an idea here. Remember what I'm trying to do. I have the ministry of Yeshua, and we're going to see if there's correlations of that of who we are as followers, disciples of him. Okay. We have a teaching down here that corresponded, if you remember the little diagram before, it was kind of uh, uh, with prophet, king, and priest. I had a prophet, king, and priest. Okay. But the prophet was corresponding here to teaching. To be a prophet is to proclaim God's word to God's people. The prophet is not sent so much to the pagan world. The prophet is sent to the people of God. And the prophet proclaims, declares, just like Yeshua. In fact, the reality is all of elements of Yeshua's life was that he was the manifest Torah, God's instruction. He is teaching. Okay? And he went continuously teaching. And so in the correspondence of the prophetic ministry of Yeshua, the ministry in the church is teaching. Okay? Secondly, Yeshua rules and reigns as king over the community. So we have this other part. We have king. I know we're on that. I'm pointing to it. King, where our K is right there, over community. And finally, Jesus is priest, and the priest's function is to engage in ministry, to engage in service unto God. The priest, the business of the priest were to worship God, to serve God, to intercede between God and the people, and to minister to the people. And so the church is called not only to hear teaching, which forges them into a community of faith, empowered by the Spirit, but then that's to show forth in its life by giving expression of various types of ministry. That was a big sentence. (laughs) A lot in that one. Ministry might include evangelism, might include praying for the sick, encouraging, assisting, helping others. Ministry, translated, is the word in Greek, diakonia. Diakonos, which means service or serving. It's not a very elaborate or high-sounding term, but it, it simply means service. And in the apostolic writings, it is simply service rendered in love to one another. Service rendered for the sake of, in the name of, under the authority of Yeshua to one another. So we're going back to the word koinonia. Koinonia is the impartation of something to one another. And it's a two-way street. It's giving and receiving. Okay? A very practical expression or operation of fellowship, of koinonia, throughout Scripture can be seen by the use of another Greek word, and that Greek word is alelon. Alelon. So, I have a little handout here. I don't know what's the best way to hand these critters out. I'm going to split them up. You can go one side, somebody take that direction, whatever, at least pass them back. thought this would be a little helpful cheat sheet, if you will. You probably have come across this or may have heard this before, and uh, Tim was so kind to print this out. 
And this is going to be a very, 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 very practical application of fellowship, of what koinonia is. As you get this, I'll read just a little bit of the first paragraph. The phrase one another is derived from the Greek word alelon, which means one another, each other, mutually, reciprocally. It occurs 100 times in the Brit Chadashah. Approximately 59 of those occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Obedience to those commands is imperative. It, it forms the basis for all true messianic communities and has a direct impact on our witness to the world. In addition to Allah alone, the Bible uses a few other words and phrases to instruct how to relate to others. With that in mind, the following list is not exhaustive, but it does give a focus on the Allah alone. Okay, so we're going to take a moment and just, we're not going to go through all of these. But I thought it would be uh, beneficial to peruse a few. Even if we just start with the very first one. John 13.34 reads as follows. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The reality is if we walk in this one command and live by this command, we fulfill them all. The practical element of our life and understanding of God's love manifesting through us to one another at all times is the fulfillment of God's desire for our lives. Isn't that the truth? It really is. And we can come back to that always. But we get to expand because we're people that have all sorts of different directions of things and all sorts of different opportunities that happen in our lives. We also have a lot of feelings and all sorts of stuff that happen to make varying waves of stuff within us. So more detail is helpful. And Paul and many of the apostolic writers go into. So if I just plow through of these things and using the word fellowship in here. By the way, I'm thrilled with that uh, beautiful play. That was awesome. It gave true representation of very, very quick ways of seeing on that, but if you look and think about what the kids were trying to express and do, they'll be revealed through this nice apostolic teaching. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. That goes on, let's greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> Care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love, be kind and compassionate to one another. In functioning in fellowship, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, submit to one another, consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Can you see how this is so extremely practical within the fellowship of what you're doing when you're gathering together on a weekly basis, but beyond just the gathering together? It's our interaction with whoever we're interacting with. Okay. 
have others teach, comfort, encourage, exhort, stir up. And then we have a few negative ones to put in it. Don't lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep biting and devouring one another, you're going to be destroyed. Let's not become conceited, provoking or envying each other. Do not slander. Don't grumble against each other. Off a little cheat sheet, if you will, to, uh, to utilize and think through as you're engaging with one another. When we are in biblical fellowship, koinonia, we're functioning within the fullness of the Torah, God's instruction to our lives. The church, God's people, interestingly in history, literally conquered Rome through koinonia. wasn't uh, other waves, the underlying element, because they were blown away by, they never saw a community that loved one another in that manner. So when they assembled as the church, they assembled to build up one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to exhort one another and to provoke one another to do good deeds. In so doing, God comes down in our presence in the midst of his people, and manifests himself in those actions. That interaction, that koinonia. So something kind of cool. I'll wrap this element up here. i got to do my erasure again here. Let's see. La, 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 la. All right. Had my first little diagram. All right. Then we had the other one. We're looking at those. Remember we had the how they correspond. Well, something kind of cool. With Yeshua, his ministry, and the correspondence on there, of him engaging, going down with us, something transpires kind of cool. I'll draw it as one simple thing. Ooh. We have us, and we have him. We have him as the prophet, king, we have our community, we have our uh, teaching, and we have ministry going on, and we have him as high priest, and right smack in the middle is, I was going to try to write Yeshua, but that's going to be a little tough with my finger. <laughs> we have his spirit in the middle, but we have the nice little thing of Magan David, the shield. The fullness of Torah is manifest when we are fully functioning in biblical fellowship one with another. Amen? Amen. Comments? Questions? Yes, sir. Uh, Tom, earlier you talked about fellowship being giving and receiving. Yes. When you talk about receiving, it's kind of a question and comment. The question is, like, what does it mean to be a good receiver? Mm. Because it kind of stems from talk to friends about, like, uh, someone, like, makes you a meal. Sometimes your immediate thoughts, why did you quickly make them a meal? So that way, like, my dad's paid all Ah, uh, yeah. Which may be more of a Western thought. It is. It is. The element of, because there's, think about it, if somebody is giving to you, there's an element of, of dealing with your own pride. And that's where you have to really come in to check with yourself of where one's heart is on that. Because, you know, all of a sudden, well, I don't, I'm, I don't need to receive that. But that's part of the practice of the entirety of that, that giving. We like to be in the position to give. Truly do. 
but honestly, that is a very valid point. It's harder sometimes to be on the receiving end. So that's a walk of humility in that way. Think about in the in the interaction of the Lord where um, Mary was, I best know it has been Mary, I guess, that was uh, uh, taking her hair and, and weeping and crying. Lord was receiving that love. And that's the same way with us. He wants to receive from us. And the way he receives from us is this interaction of believers loving each other. So that's a very good question to ask on that because that is one to have to delve into in your own heart and to be able to receive. But then in freely receiving, you can freely give all the more. I'm reminded of our boundary stones, which is, you don't know this, it's a, it's a document we've shared for our own fellowships it's, um, um, based on a couple passages in Deuteronomy. Uh, you shall not move your, ba- your neighbor's boundary mark. And mm-hmm. cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people say, amen. Basically saying that um, within... The boundary of a healthy community is where all these things can take place safely. Um, and and it's, it's imperative for us to really commit to protecting the boundaries of our communities, mm-hmm. our faith communities, of our homes, these relationships, so that we can be free to give and receive without fear, without uh, um, any kind of suspicion or, or anything, right? Like we, we know that the bad stuff is on the outside of this boundary, but what is within the boundary is good. I guess is the best way to put it. But but I'm reminded of several several points in our boundary stones are found in that list. Yeah. Yeah. On how to interact with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I um, I find when I was hearing the development and kind of the restructuring of how Beth Coon was going to small f- home fellowships and then gathering together, I thought, wow, that's exciting. The dynamic of that is so biblical when it's totally engaged in. And I, th- I think the work in which you're doing that way is so, so beneficial. Um, the structures and traditions that have developed within many different areas of the church. Uh, I mean, our fam- we have been involved with so many different fellowships, churches, through the years and the different dynamics, everything from huge, huge ones, multi-thousand people in attendance, to very, very small. Uh, on there. And to, to say that one is the correct and one is not isn't necessarily the position to be, but what one is better reflective biblically, whatever, the, the smaller ends up being the, the more biblical thing. You, you don't find any fellowship that's... You say there was added 3,000 on this day. It wasn't like they all gathered then together and created a church building <laughs> to function in. No, they were all within the small, small fellowship of homes and things, and that's so critical. And the development and the pouring in of, of the family is, is the baseline 
for that at its large desire, is it not, to uh, have strong, true, intimate family relation honoring the Lord in all that we're saying and doing. And so I, I just encourage you all in that walk to do that. Pour into one another every opportunity you can and receive from one another. Yeah. Any other comments? Any other thoughts? How about from the peanut gallery over here? <laughs> peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. Also addition to my lovely wife, uh, is my eldest son, Joshua. I'm glad you're here. Tim, any other thoughts? Uh, I'll share something when, when you've wrapped up. Okay. Well, I feel like uh, wrapped up. Let's wrap up. Yes, sir. Um, speaking of fellowship, all of these positive commands for fellowship are the same ones found in marriage yeah. and the same ones found in God's relationship back to us. He loves us. He cares for us. He watches over us. He protects us under his opinion. He bears our burdens, forgives, on and on. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just uh, something that, that hit me new was uh, I'm trying to do all these things for my wife. And uh, I'm trying to be a good and loving husband and and when life is over, you know, I'll have to have shown an account of how I loved people mm-hmm. and, uh, and how I acted like God did down here for me. Yes. So uh, that's, that's all I have. I just have, I just have that, yeah. uh, that fierce love. It is active. It's a verb. And it doesn't just say, I love you, yes. but it sits down and holds your hand and holds your head and comforts you. That's a good word. Could you repeat that into the mic, just a summary <laughs> for those who are watching? <laughs> he was sharing directly that uh, the expression of all these points of uh, basically imitating the Lord in the relationship with his wife and how important it was, and how impactful it is. All the listing of these things is that. And uh, I think that is a true reality because that's where it starts, that relation in that way, for certain, with the wife. Critical. It's strange that the same relationship that you have with God and the same relationship that you have your wife, you're supposed to be having with people at your school (laughs) and people at work. Yeah. Although there is a different level. (laughs) <laughs> there are different levels of relation, you know, and, there and there's guidelines for that. And which there is, are people that don't uh, want to have your friend, friendship <laughs> and fellowship. And, uh, and God bless them, they're, uh, they're allowed to do that. Uh, you you uh, preach to the people that God puts before you. Uh, and in some cases, you even use words. Yes. It's good. It's good. Sweet. Any thoughts? No? Okay. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity just to be able to come and share. Um, just a, We've had a very unique um, 
background with regard to small groups too. Uh, years and years ago out in um, California, a fellowship that we were involved with, whatever, I ended up being, being head over the 21 small groups that we had within our fellowship. And I uh, was very, very active in that. So uh, this topic, when Tim asked me, I said, well, that's right up my alley of what to be able to share. The impact that a small interaction of group can be life, life-giving, but also life-expanding all the way through life. We have a friends that are pastors Amazing how I can't get through some stuff. They became lifelong friends because of a small group. Just young, raising kids together. They're some of our dearest friends, closest people. We see them only like once a year, maybe twice. But interactively, we're together with them because we had a uniting of hearts. And God does that, and he can do that. And every one of the small groups on there and with one another, if you invest yourself, invest like the Lord invested in us. And that's what he wants us to do is just take that same investment he put in to invest out. And in that growth, in that pattern of things, that's how God's kingdom will expand and grow by that love. All right. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Good to see you. Good to be in fellowship with you and your family. Yeah. Um, what What's interesting about this, and I didn't anticipate this, but this is how God works, is th- this topic leads directly into the next devotion, which is breaking of bread, which is all about what? Hospitality. It's all about hospitality um, and how it is we welcome people, how it is we make them, uh, bring them into our, bring them to within our boundaries. How do we, how do we acclimate people? How do we, how do we do that? Um, and all of this just kind of leads right into that. Um, and so it's no coincidence that this whole list starts out with the teaching of the apostles. Truth. Then fellowship, then breaking of bread, all this coming down to us, we share with one another, and then the prayers is us giving thanks and praise back to God. It's a really a beautiful flow uh, that is in that one single verse. So, so thank you, Tom. Um, we're making good time, so let's. I'm just go ahead and wrap up in prayer, and then whatever it is we want to talk about some more about this topic, we can do that um, around the table. Okay, all right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your perfect design of creation and how it manifests not only in the things we can see with our eyes, taste with our lips, hear or touch but in the spiritual, in the abstract, in the interpersonal, in the uh, deep things that we cannot grasp with our hands, but we know to, to be real and true. How you design all of those things to interact with one another, to relate to one another, to uh, bring about the life of the body, 
not just the physical body, but the body of Messiah. And that all the pieces and parts work together beautifully to do good work, to love each other, to to live and to love and to be not only givers of all your good things, but receivers of it from you through others. Thank you. We thank you for the Shabbat uh, and for the meal we're about to share. Um, and we just look so forward to doing this again. And it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.